The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this <coughs> Tell me when. Ding, you're on, baby. Clank, clank. <laughs> and I guess Bart just wants a, a fill. So, hey, everybody, welcome to the Winemakers. I'm John Myers. Porto Blanc. I want some Full crew today, man. Sam, Bart, Brian, and Pam Strayer. One Country Geographic is your company, and you're a wine writer and journalist. New book called Slow Wine out just like today, huh? Yeah, it's shipping now. Welcome. I mean, Slow wine. new book, new the, issue. The new edition. The, the annual, new edition. An the annual, new annual. Right, yeah. Uh, Slow Wine USA is the place to, Slow Wine Guide to find. Slow Wine Guide. There you go. Tell me about Slow Wine. So Slow Wine is an international movement. It's part of Slow Food, which explains the title. Um, the opposite of fast food, John. <laughs> right. The opposite of fast wine. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I don't get any fast exactly. wine. I'm <laughs> not sure I any fast John, wine. we know your background. You drink plenty <laughs> of fast wine. <laughs> we, we weaned you off of fast wine and, and McDonald's. <laughs> hey, you oh, hey. Right. Well, they're, no, they're, no. they're, they're fast, fast cars. Beginning. Beginning. Right. Fast cars, fast food, fast <laughs> wine. Yes. And, and loose women. Yes. <laughs> all all what three. About, what about loose men? No. You're right. Thank you. No, thank you're right. you. Loose people. I know loose people. I know loose men. Thank God you're here. Yeah, you've worked in the Sonoma wine industry for 40 years. You definitely know. I know a few of those. And they're and they're probably listening. Wow. Hey, Jeff. Well, anyway, it's not loose wine. It's slow wine. And in Italy, Slow Wine Guide is the biggest selling wine book. And um, highly wow. sought after. That's TV. really amazing. It, it is amazing. And so we are there. Uh, U.S. Uh, cousins, and we just do American wineries. This year we have 400. Last year we had 300. And I would say we are heavily our artisanal boutique um, well, and terroir, terroir-driven wines. So define slow wine for us. Well, I think that was part of it, artisanal and boutique. But the other part of it that makes us really unique is that we don't feature any wines that are grown with Roundup. So that's, well, that's positive. Though. That set yeah. us in a different yeah. category, and Esther Mobley gave us rave reviews last year for, for that. Yeah, that's, that's Bar- highly, this morning. highly dingworthy. <laughs> <laughs> and it takes a lot of work. We have uh, 12 contributing writers, and then myself and Deborah Parker Wong are the co-editors. Um, and every the, we have a fabulous website, Slow Wine USA, and you can go there and see an excerpt from the book. Um, what makes us truly unique, besides um, the wines that we feature, is that we are more transparent than any other guide. So at the bottom of every winery listing, you'll find a section that tells you what fertilizer was used, what kind oh, really? of plant protection. Wow. Um, we, don't, we don't use copper, though. That's uh-huh. what's on here. Okay, know. well, then we'll change it in the second edition, like next week. Okay. Um, maybe well, it was that, on that, previous Then year. that's a good question: is uh, who gives you the information? The is it right? And um, and I think maybe there was a previous editor who we worked with who got that information when he worked when he came in 
interview. The first, like the first, uh, the first edition. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. Well, we're shout always to, here shout for out to Jeremy. you, Sam. I love you, man. <laughs> so well, it's just, I mean, it, it's, yeah, I mean, that was a couple years ago, right? It, you know what? Um, I believe that Jeremy Parson. Oh, put that in? Put, uh-huh. Came here on just after the fires in 17, I think was the first time that, so the first edition came out in 2018 maybe then, Pam? Uh, I think so. That sounds about right. So we're on. Yeah. Did you six. use copper, copper I, I, then? I, I well, don't think it, so. You know, it was. But that was, was a traditional organic. Traditional, uh, you know, copper's used in lots of places um, as for mildew and mold control. Right. Um, well, copper's used not in just organic vineyards. The vast No, no, majority, I understand that. Yeah, yeah. elsewhere, right. right. Um, and when he was here, he was um, a, a winemaker or vineyard you know, viticulturist from Italy was here with him. Um, and Jeremy speaks Italian. I sometimes speak English. Um, <laughs> so I think the, the, that maybe there was something lost in translation there. But I think the interesting thing to be said about this is with the with it changing all the time, I mean, practices change, right? Yes. And, right. and we're all learning things. And um, it was really interesting, Pam, in our conversation where where you mentioned one um, vineyard company was using a different type of um, weed killer uh, so they could say they weren't using oh, right. Roundup. Glufosinate ammonium, yeah. Right, and, and, and that's just, it's just a subtle change. It still has glyphosate in it. Glyphosate, so. yeah. <laughs> well, no, it doesn't have glyphosate. See, I, but. That's, that's why I don't. <laughs> it's right. a contact. That's why I don't use side. it because I right. can't say it. Don't don't use any products you can't pronounce. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's good advice. Well, I, w- I will say, <laughs> but, Sam. But, but I guess the point is, is that things change, right? And, they do. And so and that's, that's why, why we these, have an annual guide. Right. right. And that's why these books are so valuable because they do change, and you need to see. There's obviously new people. Um, that come into it and practice the change. And that way it's more education for people. Well, That's all I was trying to get. I will also say Adutet does not have copper. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. And also, we'll be coming out with the second edition any week now where so we compile the these. the second edition of the 2004 version. 2024, yeah. Okay. So we're making corrections as we go. That's amazing. Because it's print on demand. It, it is. And, and we can do that. It's a living... And that's maybe... Um, well, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm like taking a step too far on this, but um, slow wines are living wines. wines and that we're are alive. fast on and, the corrections. And the wine guide, the slow wine guide, is a living document. <laughs> it's right? an it, organic growth. It's an organic thing. thing. Yeah. Uh, but I think that we, it is not to be overstated, um, that this is the only guide for wine on the planet that, at the very baseline. And this isn't, you know, this is the time of year that all these top hundred wines of the year mm. lists come out and all this bullshit. This is the only guide on the planet that is baseline, no roundup. And, like, work from there and, and you know, weed it out from... Uh, weed it out, you see what I did there, right? <laughs> weed it out from there. Uh, but as a baseline, that makes, uh, you know, the importance of which really just it cannot be understated. Well, so, so and, and that's exactly right. And that's where I was trying to get to. The point is, what's the difference in that product that you mentioned to me and quote unquote Roundup? If they still say it, Bart, say it. 
It's glufosinate ammonium versus glyphosate. And so thanks to John Roncaroni, the weed control expert extraordinaire who used to be with UCANR as a weed control specialist who just retired. Glufosinate ammonium is a contact herbicide. And... Roundup is systemic. Right. Okay. So, and we don't say that all the wineries in the guide are um, no Roundup. The wines that we review are no Roundup. So they could have other wines that aren't. And we try to indicate that also because we tell you what kind of certification they have. And it will say some of the vineyards are and, organic. And, and again, I mean, I think that's something, you know, as our conversation earlier today about Napa Green, I mean, you know, when we had Napa Green <clears throat> on, they they didn't have a stand on Roundup. Like right. you could use Roundup. Right. Um, but their goal later on was to show a path to not using it. Right. Um, and I think that's important. There are vineyards, <clears throat> there are wineries that make wines without it, uh, you know, but but the fact is, is that may only be 2% of their whole production, right? Right. right. And, and they need a path to get there. Right. Um, well, what we found in the American version versus the Italian guide is in Italy, people don't tend to buy grapes as much as they do here. They have an right. estate. They're, that's their winery. Old that's world. their wine. Yeah. Whereas we have a really complicated task of parsing through wineries that buy a tremendous number of grapes. So... Um, you know, kudos to our team for the amazing job they do. So, well, and let's be real on that: the, the wineries also have a complicated task of maintaining the knowledge, you know, from year to year of exactly yes. what gets used in the vineyards that they purchase from and what makes it into each bottling. Right. Right. Because that's you know, again, that's a just full of it today. That's a fluid situation <laughs> uh, from year to year. What you know what comes into the winery and how it was treated and then what makes it into the bottle is is changes from day to day well yeah and and it's hard because if you have a larger winery like one i worked at where they had sustainable organic and biodynamic there was had to be a lot of discussion about what happened when right you know and it wasn't as simple as just top everything with this or you know use that because you could screw up a certification mm-hmm. you know you could you could you could declassify wine without even realizing it well i think that one of the big problems is certification so i'm very pro certification personally uh, but slow wine guide allows for non-certified people to participate so the wine doesn't have to be certified nor just the vineyard so you have to be transparent you have to tell us what you are doing um and then we can convey that to the consumer who can make their own decision because so many people don't think that certification is so onerous and so expensive which it's well i won't speak to that but my opinion is that it's not uh, expensive um especially for the kudos that you get, the bragging points you get. And more and more, we're see- so one really super interesting thing to me that I covered recently was the Napa Valley grape growers. And they had their annual teach-in called Rootstock. It's a whole day, uh, they all get together and have speakers. And this year they decided to do it all on weed control. And they had a really great data person, an analyst who is in the wine mm-hmm. industry, do, um, 
uh, a calculation about where the trends had been going in the last 10 years in Napa on Roundup. And basically half of the Roundup use stopped as of five years ago when that first big lawsuit came out uh, with the big win for the plaintiffs. I was going to ask both of you guys, your estimate on the percentage of Roundup use wineries California versus worldwide? She'd be the... Well, uh, I don't know the worldwide statistics, but I can tell you, like, in the three biggest wine-producing countries in Europe, the organic certified is 18%. Okay. In Napa, it's probably about 13 14%. In Sonoma, it's like 3 yeah, or 4%. Dismal. It's really sad. Really? Yeah. And I would think it would be higher here. <laughs> well, uh, you know... Just because I know you, Sam. <laughs> That's it. You know? well, we've, we've, we wish. We've clouded we your... Wish. We've, we've jaded your judgment on this, too. Yes. I mean, John, uh, grain of sand at the beach. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, you know, Phil farmed organic vineyards. There's just not that many of them. There's what, probably 50,000 acres of vineyards in Sonoma County of of that take away the, the Napa properties. 500 of it is Enterprise Vineyards farmed of Sonoma County. So that's a tiny, tiny fraction. Is that even 1%? No. That's a tenth of a percent or some shit. I don't know. I didn't do math. Uh, But, you know, and then there's maybe some others. But if there's 5,000 acres of organic vines in Sonoma County, I'd be shocked. Because most of it falls under the sustainable model, right? Well, that's, you know, we've been... I've been rallying against Sonoma County Sustainable since it came out because exactly what I said, you know, when it first, you know, the pro roundup rules of Sonoma County Sustainable came out, people are going to take Sonoma County Sustainable because it's easier and you get to say something nice about yourself and organic certification will fall and that's what's happened. So it also should be pointed out that organic and biodynamic certifications are legally recognized and those are the only ones that we include in the certification section in this guide. Um, we do discuss sustainability programs in the text of the guide if a winery wants, or if the writer feels like they want to include that information. But I think a lot of wineries are sort of like off-put. They're like, well, why don't you put sustainability certifications in the certifications section? Um, because they are not widely agreed upon and uh they're too confusing for on a national basis there's so many of them i think the fact just what you said originally is they're different like sonoma sustainable is different than lodi rules which is different than you know other right sustainability well and and some of them have an actual bar like lodi rules they have a pretty well-defined bar and so does uh, SIP certified. Right. Whereas the Wine Institute one and um, the Sonoma one are, are very, very broadly defined. Right. And, and you know. When we go back to, you said that basically organic certification and biodynamic certification are the only ones that have legal basis. Is that because of like the National Organic exactly. Program? Is exactly. It, the USDA that? as right. an actual government agency with actual you know, enforcement, enforcement of law. Right. Okay. And the rest of them are just marketing. Well, they can say what they want. I, many years ago, did an expose on a certain person in Sonoma who flouted all of the rules of their certification and there was no enforcement. No. Do you want to say who that was? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
But you can look it up on your blog. No, or no, some, I, or, I don't think it's. I don't know okay. if it's even still there. Uh, you know, I mean, let's face it. It's all about the weeds. Hence the reason why the rootstock thing was about the weeds. It's like, you know, the, the about the hardest thing that we do to our vineyards is spray Roundup, um, right? I mean, the other yeah, the I other herbicide about, yeah. practices are not as damaging. Well, right? I think Cause, actually cause, there's too much attention on Roundup, okay. if you ask me, um, because organic encompasses much more than that. So I'm about to go to the fabulous second gathering of the Vineyards and Biodiversity Conference, which will be in Avignon in uh, January 18th and 19th. You need someone and, to carry your bags? <laughs> well, I would love it. Um, You're going to be at the uh, DTC conference that week, Brian. Oh, never mind. Uh, oh, well. Get your tickets now. Uh, so <laughs> it, it's a, a, a lot about um, wildlife, biodiversity, rewilding, and, you know, super interesting things. I would say that, that you know, while people here talk about being sustainable, in France, the whole, uh, there's a huge movement toward biodiversity. And you see it on their websites. You hear them talk about it. Um, it's, you know, like a national anthem. Um, so I think that is slowly coming to uh, California. You know, there's a really interesting project in Oakville now with Favia and the owners of Quintessa. Right. Uh, and they are rewilding and planting and, you know, doing all kinds of cool stuff. And I think that's going to be a lot more prevalent here. But anyway, the vanguard of it is in Avignon. And they have fantastic scientists. The last time I did write a blog post about it at, um, the first uh, conference, and they have, you know, professors from Geisenheim who are doing really interesting historical landscape work, where they see how the vineyard row orientations used to be 50 years ago, or how many little tree plantings there were interspersed in a vineyard that aren't there anymore. And we're just talking like 50 years ago. They have old aerial photographs and stuff that you can just see. And they went through and cataloged. And they also look at the vineyard uh, impact on bird life. And, you know, the fungicides, they're, they're not healthy for birds. <laughs> and I remember going to Napa Green like 10 years ago, and somebody who was the head of it took me on his vineyard tour and showed me all those bird boxes. And I was very impressed. And then I came home and read the pesticide use report, which is like my Bible. And it, I was shocked. I was so chagrined because they're using things that are neurotoxins for birds and bees. And those are really commonly used. So we need to look at all of these certifications and then kind of, you know, align with the one that fits our personal preferences. And so Wine Guide allows you to do that. Yeah, yeah I think when you, we talk about Roundup, it's, it's an easy target, but because it, it's harder to talk about, uh, you know, pre-emergent systemic fungicides. Yeah. doesn't ha just doesn't roll off the tongue as well, but, right. you know, I, I can't believe I want to say this. You know, if there was a vineyard that didn't use those but did use Roundup, I'd probably drink those wines before I drank a wine. Really? Yeah. Just, yeah. you know, those are things that are literally getting sprayed onto the plant and are intended to sort of be incorporated into the biology of, of the grapevine. Right. Um, and, right. you know, again, the whatever the the mom's group who did the 10 wines from California that yeah, all tested right. positive moms for across, life, across mm, America, yeah. Um, you know, again, easy targets. Right. Um, well, and, and but let's talk about yeah pre-emergent fungicides in in conventionally grown wines. I'm sure that I, I'm sure they're in the wine. Yeah, they have to be. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. 
I thought that's what you were talking about. Well, yeah, well, and well, stuff. yeah, and I would also say, you know, pe- the information people get about Roundup is really um, not very well defined. I used to be in the health journalism pro- world. I brought Dr. Dean Adele onto the web and um, worked out with many famous epidemiologists and did health risk stuff for many years. And the far greater risk from Roundup is eating non-organic grain products where the wheat or whatever is sprayed right before harvest yeah, to be a that's right. And that practice is outlawed in some European countries, but it's not outlawed here. And potatoes, the same thing. So what you want to do first <laughs> is avoid those products. And then there's a fantastic film that just came out last week called Into the Weeds. And um, I just posted about it on my blog today. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll post all this. And what does oh, okay. your, blo- your say your blog real quick? Wine Country Geographic, uh, and you go there and click go over to the blog. Um, it's actually winecountrygeographic.blogspot.com, but um, Wine Country Geographic will get you headed in the right direction. And so, Into the Weeds is this fantastic documentary made by a Canadian documentary filmmaker about the case of Dwayne Johnson, who was the first big court case where, which made you know headlines around the world when he not was, the rock, not the rock, right? Okay. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, it, although he does have a music, he has some music stuff going on, which you'll see in the film. Um, he had a big spray accident, so he wasn't using it according to the professional guidelines. He wasn't wearing PPE that was kosher and he called the company and asked for help after his body broke out and all these rashes after he had a big spray accident and um and they didn't do anything and they haven't warned anybody and that has been the big issue in the court cases is that they failed to warn and they're still fighting in court to this day in california trying to avoid california sticking regulations on them saying they have to say and this is specifically for roundup or that's specifically for roundup that um, so, and there's new research coming out um, all the time about the dangers of glyphosate. But what we see mostly is in the Roundup Ready areas, where there's massive aerial spraying. Women who are pregnant in the area have lower birth weight babies. A new study from UC Berkeley and others just came out with some more details. Um, but the best study to help well, contribute you, to... Will you define that real quick, the Roundup Ready, just for those who don't, oh, okay. who don't know what that means? What, Why what, don't you... What, actually, you could define uh, that. Okay, so... I, oh, go ahead. Okay. Uh, so what you're, t- you're talking about is like a Roundup Ready crop, so like a, a Monsanto Seeds. seed, right. particularly corn, wheat, soybean, something that is... I guess probably not wheat because of the, because of the desiccation problem, um, that are immune to roundup right and so you plant those crops and and then you can spray everything with roundup as often as you need to right because the plant that you're trying to grow won't be affected by it but everything else will be including apparently like the pregnant moms who live next door right or not well, even and, next door and, but and in that's the town all of iowa right, right. And, and the thing about it is that's just a that's just one aspect of the things that they're genetically modifying. Like, you know, my, my friend George, God rest his soul. No, he's still alive, but he sold his soul. He's a lobbyist for Monsanto. Yeah. And, you know, he's told me about a product that that there's a there's an insecticide bred into the plant 
So yeah. it kills a weevil or something, you know? And, and I said, but what's the effect on that of the people eating the plant? You know, he goes, oh, well, we're doing studies on it. Well, they did studies on it, and but they didn't really sufficiently study it. And they, everyone, I mean, Amigo Bob used to tell me the story of how all everyone went to. Um, That's your Amigo Bob. Oh, okay, great. Amigo Bob, who was a great organic farmer and um, brought many people into organic certification and started CCOF, uh, which is uh, the major accreditation uh, agency for wine growers. Um, though not the only one. Amigo Bob used to tell me stories about how everyone went to jail who was the first, the people who first tested, did the first lab testing for Monsanto. And um, like all the rodents that died, they just threw out of the study and three people went to jail. Um, for falsifying stuff? Yeah, okay, right. Yeah. And the EPA originally ruled against Roundup. Um, and has never been revealed what the other ingredients are besides glyphosate. And in fact, one guy just last month won a huge lawsuit, a billion dollar lawsuit in uh, St. Louis, because they attributed some of the lethal qualities to the non-glyphosate <clears throat> substances that are in Roundup. Um, so there's like an ongoing, you know, there could be the soap opera days of our lives in Roundup. Uh, research, but the big study that just is most significant, in my opinion, is the Global Glyphosate Study, um, which is an international uh, group of people. Uh, but it's based in Bologna, Italy, which actually is coincidentally where the Slow Wine International Fair takes place in February. Um, and the University of Bologna has a very long history of uh, scientific excellence. This study is studying three types of glyphosate. So regular, just simple glyphosate alone. Glyphosate as a formula in, of Roundup. And then Powermax Roundup, which is much stronger and outlawed in the EU, but legal here and widely used here in the wine grapes world. So um, well, I think that's also an important thing, distinction that like the Roundup that you go and buy at Home Depot to spray in your backyard is not as potent as the roundup that is used in commercial agricultural right i think the biggest health concerns people have and legitimately so about roundup in wine country are overspray extending into schools or schoolyards um and the state is not adequately protecting homes in the area too i mean residential yeah yeah. and i think about the uh, school that my brother went to the carneros elementary school out there in carneros that was vineyards from you know fence to fence all around it well you know left and right off of arnold um right plenty of homes and plenty of of uh vineyards being sprayed right so So for my for my money you get the same value if not better by buying organically grown wine or wine that isn't grown with roundup and the only way to find those wines really is this book (laughs) there you go (laughs) It's a good description of it. Uh-huh. Fantastic. I feel like there's a, a lot of places that we can go and talk about this, but will you briefly just tell people where they can find their own copy of oh, Slow Wine Guide? You can Guide? buy the book online at slowwineusa.com. Okay. You can also buy it on, from the very prestigious Academy du Vin, which is an international distributor, just became the largest distributor of wine books in the world, and they carry it. 
Uh, so if you're in Europe, that might be easier for Sam, you. Sam, that'll you know? make your MasterCard bill look very sophisticated. <laughs> well, that yeah, the, the, knowing that that book is uh, that bookstore is available makes me want to look at yeah, it. Yeah, no, it's going to yeah. make my MasterCard very uh, maxed. Is what it's going to do. <laughs> What's this book run? It's twenty-five dollars. We'll just buy this copy if you don't mind. Uh, no, that's not the final version. Ah. So you want, you want the up-to-date one? You might want the second edition. Uh, okay, <laughs> we'll wait. Um, well, I mean, this has been great, Pam. And you know, I mean, I, I guess for me, and something that we do here is trying to inform people, you know, what goes on and and what things mean, you know, that are truthful, and it's. It just seems like there's just not enough work done to helping people. I, I guess you've got to want to get away from Roundup and from you know pesticides, um, but it seems like we need to give them a, a clearer path at times. Well, I think um, watching into the weeds will give you some motivation when you see how like 25,000 people, homeowners who used it residentially, uh, are have filed lawsuits against Monsanto and Bayer. <laughs> Um, so definitely it's a, it should, in my opinion, it should be a restricted material, uh, because it's carcinogenicity is not well, well defined. You know, they took chloridane off the market and I remember having a, a home sprayed in Indianapolis for termites. It's like we sold it, you know, right. I think the court of public <laughs> opinion is going to weigh in here. And I think that's. Uh, prob that was a motivator for both Napa Green deciding that it has to be eliminated, phased out of its members' um, vineyards by 2026. And they also said that um, glufosinate ammonium has to be sprayed out at a later date, I mean phased out. Um, so there's a lot of uh, uh, soul searching, I think, that's going on in the upper end of the wine world. and and. You see that by the Napa Valley grape growers finding out that in the last five years, the Roundup use has halved. So I think that's very commendable, and it shows that it can be done. It, what Napa Green is offering its members now as a way is help is help along the path. Right. And so here's the toolkit. Here's what you need to do: technical assistance, financial assistance. Um, it's a very uh, forward-thinking program, yeah. Yeah. and I think it could gain a lot of traction in the marketplace. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't looked at it in depth, but I did I yeah. read about it and stuff. and um, So it's something definitely to look at. Um, so. Am I the only one that thought that Roundup was illegal? Why did I think that? I thought after that suit that, like... Nope. It was, if I remember right, it was off the shelf at Friedman Brothers for a period of time, but I think it's back. Wow. And, and, you know, and, and there, were, there have been county agencies that have... Um, stopped using it and, and yeah. whatnot. Oh, yeah. and city it's been agencies. Yeah, by a lot of cities on yeah. the so that might be properties. a little bit, Brian, what you're thinking yeah. about. Yeah. Um, you know, I know school districts and stuff have. Well, and have city councils. Rid of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like Santa Rosa right. area. Yeah. I know country, that just made it. Many cities in wine country yeah. have banned it, but they can only ban it from municipalities. And other people have had that misperception too, Brian. Well, I'm really interested in that guy's misspray accident. I wonder what the hell happened, actually, and you know the reactions he had were, I mean. Watch the movie. Yeah, is that, is that yeah. in, in Oh the yeah, it's actually in, in the, the trailer. Weeks? The trailer starts off with him showing you the exact spot where it happened. Excellent, yeah. okay. Well, Pam, I was, was recently around a group of people in the industry and one of them being a grower made the comment that there's, you know, 
that organic is more expensive and that there's really no um, there's, there's no compensation for well, it I, and there's not yeah. and and just I'm wondering I know maybe you know you need to have more people looking for it and willing to pay more money to help growers uh, convince growers to do it are you seeing a trend like is that happening are yes. people yes. showing more interest are yeah. people yeah so uh, look at um, Craig Ledbetter in Lodi right not not Mr. Pro Organic by a mile over the course of his career, but he is now. He has some good, good paying clients who actually are uh, helping him go biodynamic, and he's convinced that it's the future. And that otherwise you're in a race to the bottom. Um, I would say that you know there's plenty of evidence. You know the amount of organic acreage in Napa grew 38 percent over the last three years. So the high end and the low end you're seeing. Uh, and Shide on Monterey County is uh, has 3,000 acres of estate vines. They're going totally organic. They got a big new deal with Whole Foods. Whole Foods been a little late to the party. Uh, Bonterra's on fire. Uh, yeah, you know what? Shout, shout out to Bonterra. I I really like those guys. I like everything they do from day one. That they to me, it's the organically farmed consumer friendly pricing wine right and you're um, going to see also um well, the, that, those folks in La in lake county shannon are um, yeah, hot shannon, on the shannon path Ridge. too and they have some great 20 dollars bottles not everything yeah. is fully certified organic there but a couple of their labels are yeah and they're just doing amazing things with sheep and they're all estate yeah um bonterra has really shifted the bulk of their sourcing out of mendocino county which is sad and then down to cheaper wine regions. But the amazing um, thing with Bonterra is it's gone through several uh, ownership, ownership changes yeah. since the Fetzers were involved, and 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 it hasn't just been completely, you know, destroyed. Well, people in Mendocino right? are pretty unhappy about the shift in sourcing. Yeah, I'm sure they are. And feeling abandoned. Yeah, and like yeah, the whole company sure. was set up to create right. that market and for them to have that opportunity. Right. So now what you find actually is that. Um, on the open market, all the natural winemakers are sourcing from Mendocino. Right. And you know, you have people like Dave Cobal, who used to be the head of vineyards at Fetzer, uh, at Bonterra, saying, you know, if it's not organic, it's not gonna get sold uh, to yeah. these independent winemakers. Yeah. And then you're I seeing in the Central yeah. Coast, <laughs> really cool stuff happening. Oh dear, I'm gonna forget his name. But um, right near, um, uh, uh, I'll have to come back to it. But anyway, there's one grower who's diversified into all these specialty uh, varietals and is organic and so is also catering to this, um, that same market. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a very specialized market. Right. I mean, but if we can keep growing that market, you know, yeah. it encourages more growers to, to turn towards that as opposed to a grower who actually grows a little bit of product organic but for him to say that there's no upside to it um it well, you have to find your buyer very much bugged yeah. me there you have to find your buyer yeah yeah well i think he's being paid to farm it that way and it's just a different practice it's a it's not his norm right so right and that's a big part of it you know it's really good to talk about that the transition sure. because people don't like to change so much right and right. they're they're scared they're afraid um so i think a lot of hand holding and you know, TLC and encouragement. And I think in Napa, what registered on the Richter scale was people going, do you use Roundup? 
And then what do you say? Well, um, you say, uh, uh, how long does it no, take? No, I used Glufon. Blanc. <laughs> how in long Napa, does it take? like 28, there was a 28% increase in glufosinate ammonium use. With the 50% drop in right. Roundup drop. So how so, long does it take to get Roundup out of the fields and out of the vines? Well, I mean, if you've used them, it's systemic. Can you still well, use what? the rootstock or does it flow out? Eventually. It goes out. I've a lovely, lovely man I've interviewed several times is named Bob Kremer, and he worked for the USDA as the head glyphosate guy for 20 years. Unfortunately, and he is still a professor emeritus in St. Louis, um, and he has still doing research. But he says it's anywhere. You know, allegedly it's like three years, but it's actually much longer than that. For certification, it's three years. Yeah. If you can prove that you've done it for three years, then you can be okay. certified. Right. But and you think it's longer. Well, he thinks it's All longer. Right. I don't. You can I don't. see that it's, I mean, you know, vineyards that convert still don't grow anything underneath the vine row right. for a while. Several years. And then, yeah, you start the, to, and then yeah. the things that start growing uh, before the things you want growing are the noxious weeds that are more resistant. Um, yeah, and I do have an article coming out in on winebusiness.com about Napa Green, and I think that's where there's a link to Kremer's research. If not, there's a link in the Napa Valley Grape Grower story. Um, but he's, a, and sadly, he just told me on our last phone call that he has cancer as a result of dealing with all of these chemicals his whole career. So, uh, but he's still, I consider him a great authority. We used to watch airplanes in Iowa spraying crops because it was cool to watch. Amazing. Yeah. Well, one as, of my friends kids. died from the DDT watching. Um, yeah, that, and you're, yeah, exactly. That was the area with DDT. It was Paraquat. It was whatever, you know, Eaton Orange. So I think <laughs> the good news is there is progress, right? That Napa Valley growers yeah. could have their roundup use that and just spontaneously there was no concerted effort there was no napa green there was just like hey man we got to do this right we don't want to say yes that's the big deal isn't it yeah do you use it no this is a fascinating book i was flipping through. oh i know sorry oh, I, just got, I just got caught up in it and i was yeah. when you start to read about you know people that we know. know, yeah and what they're doing and the wines that they're making and people yeah. that you know we could probably sit here and just a bunch of great interviews. <laughs> a bunch of, a bunch of great podcast guests out of the book, right? Well, exactly. What, what I was thinking, yeah. Sam. Exactly. What, what right what next be, to us is Ward Four, which we've talked about having yeah, her right. on the uh, podcast. Yeah. We have everyone who, from size-wise, who ma- one one guy makes a hundred cases of wine a year. We have a lot of you know teeny weeny little artisanal people. There's a lot happening on the Central Coast. I noticed this year because I edit the 400 wineries um and there's a lot uh happening in terms of different varietals being grown um much more diversity um who's the biggest adapter so far Is anybody with major case production shide shide, shide family and down on shannon. highway 101 shannon up in lake county okay yeah and, and shannon's super cool because they have all these sheep year round which yeah. is very hard to pull off year round i mean yeah, to me um i i don't know uh, is is craig Ledbetter? i i know craig's uncle uh-huh. and i had met his father 
I mean, so he. This is for Vino Farms that he yes. is representing. I mean, and you know they're a finance-driven company. Correct, and yeah. and I mean, like you know, when I first met Jim Ledbetter and asked him where his vineyard was, very naively, and he looked at me and he says, "We're everywhere." Yeah, right? seventeen thousand acres they farm. Yeah, they, they don't f- own the seventeen. Right, they but own they 2, farm. I mean. Yeah. The, that's crazy and yeah. the fact that they're going to start farming organically and you have to hope that they'll start converting more and more acreage um, that's huge and and that's old old school farming kind of thinking so. right and it's finance driven right He's like saying, I mean, I did a two-part interview that was in winebusiness.com, which you can find all this stuff. There's links to all my articles on Wine Country Geographic in the wine journalism section. And, you know, I was so impressed with everything he told me. I had to, you know, sort of pinch myself who I was hearing this from. But he's quite adamant, and he's been doing it five or six years. He says his whole team is on board. He's really happy about it. He said it's not that hard. And and it comes down to, like, right. Um, I but mean, it costs more, but they're doing it. Well, for- yeah. and, and I think we should explore that a little bit because I, I was just flipping through. Um, Gloria Ferrar is not in here yet. Yeah. Um, I think that's we somebody We don't get everyone. No, no, no. And I, and I, just because just, it is a, a person power issue. Right. And I, I totally get that. And it's just something to put on your radar. Oh, I, no. I she's believe, on my radar. I believe that they're... <laughs> This is their certification year or last year? Yes, they're certified, um, yeah. And and Maya Kamas Olds, um, friend of the podcast, said that when you know she was the GM there, sort of drove that conversion, um, that they actually managed to reduce farming costs right. while converting to organic. Wow. So I think that, and, and you know, again, that was three years ago probably, so maybe those things have changed. Everything is more expensive, so who freaking knows? Um, but even if it's... Well, it's really site-specific. A slight increase. Right, uh, that makes a lot of sense. I'm sure it's site-specific. But if there's even slight increases, and all of a sudden your fruit is worth, and this is, I'm sure, what is driving you know the folks out in, in Lodi, if your fruit prices can go up a couple hundred dollars a ton and you know make up for those those increased costs on the farming side, at the end of the day, you're actually going to... You know, be in the positive because of a shift to organic, right? Well, Evo at Gergich is adamant that it's cheaper. That he says his costs are eleven thousand dollars an acre in Napa, whereas Mike, the average is fifteen thousand. And Mike an acre just passed away this week. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, something to be said about. Um, I'd say yeah. that deserves a yeah, for sure. Yeah. We all sit here because right of Mike Gergich. Right. Shoulders sure. are giants. Um, because you know, farming practices you can reduce tractor passes and um, all those things and those things add up you know um, so yeah uh, Pam we are just accepting your knowledge uh, for what it is what made you get into this and how did you focus so much on this oh, what's your that background that's a really good question um, so originally I was doing health journalism I was the editor in chief of healthcentral.com which was Dr. Dina Dell's online foray those of you that don't know Dr. Dina Dell anyone Another, that grew up in the Bay Area we yeah. know Dr. Dean from watching him on the news right. um, at night and he would give health advice and right and yeah. didn't he have like the readers that he'd buy at the yep that too but <laughs> we didn't talk about that right. like, like Joey Benziger <laughs> yeah. shout out Joey Benziger yeah. Yeah. Uh, Phil, Phil Gattori has a message for you by the so way from, from healthcentral.com I pivoted, I was hired as the editor-in-chief of DNA.com, and that was a genetic discovery company under Jim Clark, big Silicon Valley legend, uh, who started Netscape and WebMD. 
And I was also in charge of all the genetics channels on WebMD, on WebMD both for consumers and physicians. They had two different uh, outlets then. <clears throat> and so I was working with the best uh, genetic scientists people in the world, writing stuff with them, for them, for uh, intelligent adoption of genetic testing, for people to understand when they need to talk to their doctor about issues. And then when that ended, I f learned through friends about the pesticide use report. And I was blown away. So this is uh, public information available from the state in aggregated far form and in individual specific uh, uh, level from any ag commissioner in any county ag commissioner. It's not available in other states, just California. And it is an amazing repository. So you can see everything that is used. You have to apply. You have to you know, just say, I'd like to see this information. And then they send it to you. And then you have to start understanding what's organic and what's not organic in terms of a certification so that you'll know what is more um, a chemical of concern. Right. And um, when I found out about that, I was blown away. I was like, why are we looking for cancer genetic tests? When we're just spraying carcinogens all over the landscape, Thank you. I, I and I became I went through what I call my Debbie Downer phase. <laughs> I was just like I can't believe it, and then I was like, well, look, there's all these people who don't do that, and they're not going down the drain financially. In fact, they seem to be thriving. In fact, they seem to be taking up more oxygen in the top ten lists or top one hundred or the top wines more and more. And actually, really interesting research has come out now that uh, looked at you know an enormous number of French wine scores over a 20-year period, and organics gave basically a six-point bump in the ratings, and biodynamics gave like a 12-point bump. So we, we saw a report similar to that, and it yeah. was it was nice because it was like proof positive to to show consumers that not only is it a feel-good aspect of buying those wines but they actually scored higher in right. blind tastings right on average on so average we don't want right. to say every organic because no no not we all know right. how many factors go into it yeah but um it is a significant finding um so to answer your question so i put those things together and I started um, making the first apps on organically grown wines in the United States. So I had organically Napa, organically Sonoma, Which is I think about wines. the time that I, I my yeah, dad, right. you, you, I think you talked to my dad before that, but right. that's when it was, when I was sort of starting all of this. Right. And I wanted to make sure that we were on the app. Right, yeah. and you were. <laughs> anyway, so that um, went really well except for the app platform that I wrote them all on was disbanded. Uh, by its by its founders, and so that kind of went kaputski. So I haven't come back with something else, but that got me going. And I also felt like the organic people who were certified didn't have a voice. So I started my blog, which is approaching one million page views. <laughs> Let's put it over Excellent. the top. There you go. <laughs> um, and just being sort of a conduit for information, and it. So that's where it started. And where are you from? Uh, I'm from all over, uh, but I was raised in New England and lived in Maine and went to school in Western Massachusetts and moved here uh, 38 years wow. ago. Wow. Yeah. I should have moved so much earlier than I did. It only took me like, uh, you know, 60 years to get here. 
I just remember wanting to move to San Francisco well, when you I were was like 16. You for, were smart. Yeah. No, I wanted to go to Berkeley in college, but my parents wouldn't let me, so. But I made it anyway. Now it's, I want to go to Berkeley in college, but I can't get in. Or you can't afford or, it. Yeah, exactly. God forbid you get in and saddle yourself and your family in debt for the rest of your life. Right. I think it's only about four hundred thousand well, dollars. You know? Well, well no, not before Berkeley. you have to live in Berkeley, right? I mean, yeah, Berkeley might not be the expect the. Uh, it's expensive, right? But then you have to live in these places, right. right? Like, oh, great, I got a full ride to NYU. Well, now you have to afford to live in New York for the rest of your life, yeah, or the next four years or whatever, right? Anyway, different different soapbox, different show, <laughs> different episode for sure. Uh, quickly, I want to remind everybody about the DTC conference. I, I dropped a little bit. Uh, it's the middle of January, uh, the the seventeenth, eighteenth uh, in Concord. Um, early bird registration is probably over by the time you listen to this, but uh, register if, especially if you're in the industry, selling wine directly to people. We all know it's the only way to make any of this work. Yep. Um, lots of great speakers. We'll be there recording a podcast. Come hang out with us. I think James Joyner is doing one of the speeches. He is, one, of those, yep. one of the keynotes this year. Um, so it, it's an awesome one. Um, check out dtcwinesymposium.com um, and come hang out with us at the, the Concord Hilton. Yes. <laughs> Who's coordinating hotel rooms? Uh, I, I, Jasmine, I, I don't we, think that's anything or, we need need to talk about on okay. the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, check it out; it's going to be great. Um, there's so much happening in the wine world, regulatorily wise, especially when it comes to shipping. But also uh, the California CRV thing happening. I know you're digging in on that a little bit. Yeah, I got Pan. a couple articles on the website. Yeah. Uh, one for winebusiness.com, another right. one for grape and wine that explain a lot about it. Uh, but the state does have a good program that you can yeah. call them. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and I'm working on a, uh, from Pam's helping um, the folks from uh, Conscious Container, um, a couple people to have on the show to get a little more information about it. Well, you know, I've seen people gathering cans and bottles forever right mm -hmm. um what's a wine bottle worth now well it's not worth anything nothing yet and I'm, most of it goes into the landfill um and we know that uh, regardless of what they say about i mean there's certainly wine bottles that go into recycling but um, most of it goes into landfill or it's uh, crushed and made into road base um, but this hopefully will change some things right we'll and, and research so. and evidence in other states shows that it does yeah so. And the big, you know, from a just like purely day-to-day -day operational standpoint, John is, and the targets keep kind of moving around, so it's hard to tell. But you, you know, when you go to buy a recyclable vessel at Seven Eleven, whether it's a bottle of beer or a can of soda, they're gonna charge. You'll see it as you check out. They're gonna charge you the nickel or the ten cents or whatever it's worth when they check you out. So now, when as wine comes into this program, when you buy a bottle of wine, you will have to pay that five cents or the 10 cents or the 25 cents or whatever it's gonna be per bottle. Um, but if you look at a bottle of beer or a can of soda, it says somewhere on there, CRV, right. CA. So we don't have that on our labels yet. 
So supposedly, it needs to be on all of our labels or all of our bottles starting January 1st, 2024. Anything bottled after. Anything bottled after, you know, two weeks from now. So everybody's bottling this week, right? <laughs> it's just bottle right now. Put it on paper that it's in bottle right now. Uh, no, but really, realistically is now our, you know, labels, which every, de- you know, the design of which is every detail is poured over. We have to find some place to put this... California redemption value message on the label. So, you know, everybody's back label or front label or wherever you're going to put it is probably going under some level of redesign right now. Jason Haas posted their um, new, you know, their the addition to theirs. Right. And I have to say, they tucked it in really nicely. Um, and it really doesn't, and it doesn't look bad. It just right. says C, I mean, it's better than government warning, yeah, right? Yeah, just put it, it just C-A-C-R-V. C-A-C-R-V. Yeah, right. um, it doesn't like. look bad. And, and, and it's, you know, if we can, if it makes some change, then that's the right thing to do. Well, know? the bugaboo has been that the people who sell it to you haven't collected it. Right. And they have fought it tooth and nail, the big chains. Right. And they're still sort of looking for a solution that doesn't involve major change on their end. I don't know what the resolution of that has is now, but they, you know, they want to sell it, but they don't want to be bothered collecting it. Right. Um, and one can understand why that would be, but the idea is polluter pays. So if you're going to put some waste material, some material into the waste stream, then you have to be responsible for also taking it out of the waste stream. And, and you're talking about retailers. Yeah. So Safeway, they, Raleigh's, etc., yeah, etc. So, but, so this begs the question, and this is something that I've been, we've been kicking around, and maybe you know the answer, Pam. Maybe this is something they'll talk about at the DTC conference. I, w- I would hope at the symposium. Um, so I, you know, I'm gonna bottle in January 500 cases worth of wine, and but realistically, half of those, maybe more, will be sold to people outside of the state of California. All of those wines, am I going to... And, and again, of those wines, 90% of them will be sold by us and not by a retailer it doesn't or a third matter. party. So if I'm selling wine... In California. Out, but if I'm selling wine outside of California... I don't think it matters, but consult a professional authority. <laughs> Great Sam, I'll forward you the okay. couple articles. If it's well, made in California... Gonna, if it's made in California... Yeah, I think that's how it reads. We have to... But I think the bigger thing people need to be paying attention to is the wastewater regulations that are coming <laughs> yeah, into Yeah, that's a huge thing that's coming yeah. down. And I didn't know anything about it. I was assigned to write about it by wine business. I was like... Oh, I have been on a Waste huge... water assignment. <laughs> so much fun. Right. Thanks, so, Cyril. So sexy. So cool. But as I have become more conversant in it, I am amazed. And I am very proud of this state of California, which I hope doesn't get me lynched. But uh, we need to protect our groundwater. And that's what's happening. And I didn't realize how many egregious incidents had happened. Um, and there's a whole new group of people trying to get in on the action to provide solutions. And so I'm looking at some of those super innovative, cool new things that are happening. Um, so that's exciting. But I know a lot of wineries are like, oh my God, it's too expensive. We can't afford. And they're looking at you know the people, the same vendors who create municipal waste water systems, which is not the scale that wineries need. So... 
Um, you know, things like the worm composters are great, but they can also be expensive if you have to. It's all about how much land you have and how much room you have right. to deal with all these things. Anyway, it's kind of a fascinating pivot point right now. And one that's not being talked about nearly as much as any of these other ones. No, and the deadlines are coming right up January 20th, I think it is. You mm -hmm. have to submit your plan to the state. And they do have people at the state who know what they're talking about. If you're not a member of the Wine Institute, I think it's a good idea now to become one because they have hand-holding and... Uh, uh, easy, you know, what, they will give you a lot of information about what you need to do to comply. You know, and, and again, I mean, another reason maybe to that making wine in a uh, business park isn't such a bad thing, you know, with Tank combined, and yeah, and, and combined um, processing, you know, multiple right. wineries sharing processing. And, well, and Mike Martini at Taft, Taft Street yeah. is featured in the first article that yeah. I wrote. And he's got yeah. it down to $33, I think, a ton, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. He's been doing it for a long time, Tank too. and haul. Well, he had to downgrade his production capacity a little bit to qualify to get in under a level, of, what is it, tier two, not tier three. Um, so the information has been difficult to parse, but the state has finally put out a graphic that is that really explains it easily, much more easily. A lot of people are already covered. Uh, but a lot of people are not. Right. And it's another one of these mystery zones, just like right. this. Well, CRV. and if you're building something new, it's going to be built into it. But if you're an existing place that's been around a long time, yeah. you know, who knows? Love so. that 100 year old doorbell in here in the tasting ass. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I want to give out one quick shout out. Um, I, our friends at Conscious Container have uh, found a glass company. And they are now offering a new reusable bottle for sustainability in the wine industry. Um, they have eight different types of glass, four screw cap, four cork finish, that say on them um, reusable bottles. They're built to be washed up to, what did he say here? Uh, eight to ten washes. Um, certainly not a lot, but, you know, it's a step in the right direction. Um, and, and then what they're going to do is they have very affordable pricing and then any glass that you can bring back, they're going to credit you back on the glass that you return to them um, so that way they can Excellent. reprocess and resell it. And they're also offering credits to wineries that can get other wineries to uh, buy into this to try to get, because they're trying to get enough people to start bringing in glass. Karen, I know you're listening. Send me some samples. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to give a shout out too to the people that are doing boxes, like you guys. Yeah. I had the Bedrock Rosé box. I've gone through three of them. All my <laughs> friends wanted them. It's just so nice to have that on-demand pour thing. In and your fridge. Tastes, the first glass tastes just the same as the last glass. <laughs> yeah. I, that is exactly what we've found is the people who buy one buy five. John, how many of you? How many uh, of five or six? Five or six yeah. this summer. It's just yeah. like, you know. John loves them. You have a glass of wine ready for you in your fridge at all times. And, you know, when it's, when it's folks like us and Bedrock and Topless Creek doing it, the people who qualify to be in this book, I'm holding up the slow wine guide. Um, for it's everyone like, to see, it's for, for all of you out there in podcast land. Um, it it just it makes so much sense. And although it, I'm not sure it's entirely recyclable, we will be charging 25 cents California CRV when those labels get approved. Well, uh, you know, uh, I've got one stashed in the pantry. Right. 
you know, pretty much at all times. And, and you know, it's just easy to toss in the fridge. And, and you know, I was worried we didn't, we hadn't sold all of them by the time, you know, the sort of season started changing. I think we sold like five or six of them this weekend out of the tasting house. We're, you know, we're down to the last few. I'm definitely um, working that into, you know, it's kind of a one-off. It was kind of an accident that we were able to do the boxes this year. In fact, I used Bedrock's leftover bags. Um, but I'm working that into the 2024 production planning is, you know, how can we do another couple hundred boxes? Um, DTC, $100 a box. It just like everything about it is. Uh, and how many bottles sense. are in that? Four. Really? Four. Yeah. So, uh, one point five. Liter. It's a three, I'm three, sorry, three, three liter. Three liter boxes. It's yeah. it's tiny. Yeah. No, it takes up it takes up no room. Yeah. Right. You know, and that the 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 Brian mastered selling the boxes the first weekend we had them available. He brought out a three liter bottle, which is you know a statement big. piece, yeah. big, and yeah. it slams down on the table. Mm. And then he put the three-liter box next to it and said, this is the same amount of wine. And, you know, the three-liter bottles, you know, our, our large format pricing costs slightly less than, than four bottles, right? That's my, that's my goal is the Magnum is always slightly less than, than Two. the 750 yeah. equivalent. Yeah. Uh, and, and for you listeners out there who don't know this and you're saying, but there's a plastic bag, uh, the plastic bag uh, is less effective to greenhouse gases than the glass, bottle. the glass bottles right um, as we've talked about no, many it's, times. it's not it's, there's no perfect solution no uh, and you know if we did 3,000 cases into plastic bags then you'd be talking about like some serious plastic waste but right. just sort of like you know and this goes to to Kim Nichols when she was on here you know mm. a year ago at this time is that you just, if you can like find every little lever right. mm. and turn it down a little bit. I'll tell uh, you another lever, and that's Roundup. Roundup <laughs> prevents the soil carbon sequestration. Right. There we go. Uh, as I heard from Bob Kremer in my last uh, talk with him. So right. one more well, reason. Well, if the plants are dead, they're not bringing carbon out of the air and putting it into the soil. <laughs> well, like, yeah. I didn't do much science, but I got that one. <laughs> Well, they're not the the plant you care about. The vine is not able to suck up the manganese that it needs and other trace elements. Uh, so, so there is real science there. So just well, simple but, as <laughs> no, but Sam, I mean, because I I always quote you with that. You know, if you don't want your plants to die, quit spraying. Don't spray plant killer, plant killer on, on it. Yeah. But. But and everybody says, well, but it doesn't affect the vine. But it does. It doesn't allow it to oh, pick totally. up the magnesium. And it, scientists it, know like that it kills all the the bio the the biodiversity. Right. I mean, it's right. got to kill that stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a big so Austrian study it. where like 50 percent uh, less soil, soil microbial life when they use Roundup compared to. And Sam, I think the only way to get around all that packaging is, you know, in the French corner boutiques or you know little tiny stores they just tap it right out of a large yeah, right. tub on the top and you fill your carafes and take it home i mean you know there there wasn't there wasn't that long ago john that that's how most of the wine sonoma. left sonoma valley yeah. was either in tanks or barrels put on trains and shipped to the east coast where it was bottled at the grocery store that sold mm-hmm. it um you know a la pedrincelli I love Petrincelli, I love Sebastiani, I love the Rossi Ranch, um, and you know, and, and 
as we've moved towards California wine being fine wine, collectible, age-worthy, that model doesn't really fit anymore. And, you know, that barrel that's sitting in a grocery store getting, you know, people filling off of it, well, are they topping it? Are they gassing the top of it? Is it oxidizing? It's definitely not like... Um, it's co-op wine. Yeah, it's not. it's not something that you're... Putting in your cellar and saving for Christmas Eve better. You're drinking it. Yeah. Um, So that model doesn't fit exactly anymore the way that we make the way the for the wines that we want to make. But if we can put it into a reusable bottle that we get back, or a box, or a box that you know reduces a whole bunch of that waste. um, Again, that's just finding these levers and and turning them down. I, I just saw an interesting piece on French bread. You know, there's a patisserie on every corner, mm-hmm. and you go buy your loaves of bread. And they, you know, you eat them within a day or two. And how American bread, uh, once they started slicing American it. American bread, I've never heard that term. <laughs> American, American bread. American. I'm American bread. And, and they slice it, and how it goes bad so rapidly when it's sliced, and then they add all of right. these other all things, things and how crappy and it, it is. And it has Roundup in it from it the desiccant. Bingo. <laughs> and, that, and that's yeah. not to be like overstated as somebody who doesn't eat gluten. Yeah. Uh, all the oh, people yeah. who are now having these problems with these grains and, and to sort of the round the, the wheat grown in America within a few, like a week before it's harvested, it is sprayed top to bottom with Roundup so that it dries out and weighs less between the field and the mill. Like, that's really what it's about. And sure, maybe there's, like, some slight carbon footprint decrease because you're using a little less diesel to drive it from the, from the field to the mill. But they're just accelerating the drying out process with Roundup for cost savings. And literally, the, the wheat that you eat that comes from a conventionally grown... Soaked. It's been yeah. soaked in Roundup yeah. so just before so, it was harvested. So like what, at the soybeans peak too. of ripeness. Yeah. So what we're seeing in the Italian study, at, at, it's called Ramazzini Institute, which is devoted to worker health and safety, <clears throat> is that before Roundup, we associated it with non-Hodgkin lymphoma, which is a form of cancer, and that's what all the lawsuits have been about. The new study is showing it creates, it causes leukemia. And the leukemia that it's causing is happening fat earlier in the rat's lives than any previous studies of any substance have shown. So they're dying extremely early deaths, which the researchers were like, wow, we've never seen this before. So Ramazzini has a great website. with It's the glyphosatestudy.org or .com. <clears throat> and they have published their findings, and they did this in a in a hurry because they wanted to get in under before the EU voted on whether to continue the Roundup license or not. And because nobody could come to an, a conclusion, nobody wanted to alienate the farmers who vote. The consumers have already voted in public opinion polls saying we don't want Roundup; we want it to be gone. Uh, and that's from surveys from Pesticide Action Network in the EU. Uh, we don't have any surveys in the United States where I don't think the awareness level is as high. But we're seeing, you know, there's nothing that says Roundup is safer over time. And the tiniest, tiniest amounts is kind of another area of research that's being done at King's College in London. 
and they're seeing that it's genotoxic at very low doses. It goes in, people didn't think that human beings would be affected because we don't have the shikate uh, pathway, shikate. But the bacteria that live in our guts do, and that's what's happening. So we're seeing accelerated uptake of glyphosate and fatty, uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So the, you know, the warning signs are not you know, hitting you over the head, but they're there. And if you're sort of listening in on the conversation that's happening in you know, major credentialed scientific uh, circles, it's not positive. So we're talking about European awareness and American awareness. Um, I thought Roundup was pretty much an American product. Well, they'd love for you to think that, wouldn't they? But it, <laughs> you don't think Monsanto now Bear, Bear yes. has always had but, it across the well, world? Well, I'll tell you, Bear has suffered more than anyone. They have lost half of their market uh, value, yeah. half, and it's directly attributable to the lawsuits. And they've already committed to paying out eleven billion dollars. Ouch! Yeah. There you go. It's. And there, I mean, I watch DW, which is the PBS station of Germany on YouTube, and in English, and they have document. They have, you know, German parents, grandparents, very upset with Bayer for laying off their children who are supporting their grandchildren, and saying, how could the company be so mismanaged? Everyone wondered why they bought Monsanto and warned against it, but anyway, that's history. Is there a point where um, the amount of money that Bear Monsanto is paying out in these lawsuits matches or uh, 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 beats the amount of money they're making selling this product, and all of these bans and um, you know licensing agreements and you know Napa Greens? Um, you know, not using Roundup efforts essentially, you know, become obsolete because they just stop selling it because they're losing too much money in lawsuits. Then they're making selling it, or is that the amount of money that they're is that just like a pipe dream? The amount of profit that they're gaining on this product is so high that they can pay out eleven billion dollars in lawsuits, and it doesn't really. Well, they they thought about um, not selling it residentially anymore. And they announced a couple years ago that they were going to stop that. Right. But I don't know if they actually followed through on that. There were, I mean, I I can tell you I was in Friedman Brothers the other day and I walked down that aisle and and it's there. But there was a time where it was not in Friedman Brothers for quite a while. Um, uh, I I can't tell you what that era, but... There was talk of them stop selling it um, for yeah, it was only right. going to be commercial right. at some point. But well, it obviously didn't happen. Yeah, I think it's you know, kind of waiting for the wind to blow. You know, which way is the wind blowing? Yeah. yeah. Well, Sam, I think they're probably approaching that point. Eleven billion dollars is not chump change. Or, or are they? Or, well, or they try to get out of it. You yeah. know, they've had a lot of awards reduced, and they, you know, they're going to fight it all the way to the Supreme Court. Of course. Court. And then there's the legal cost. Yeah. Well, that's nothing compared for them. Right. Those lawyers are all on retainer anyway. Might as well give them something to do. But, <laughs> yeah. but uh, you know, they're they're medical experts. I attended the first uh, trial 
uh, was called multi-district litigation, where they thought these cases would be tried all over the country. And I saw on Twitter that the IARC scientists, the UN cancerous experts who were the first to sound the warning, um, which is what scientific bodies do versus regulatory bodies. Um, and so I listened to all the testimony from the experts for the plaintiffs. So they, they tried to decide in a multi-district litigation thing, it's called a Dober hearing. They try to decide what scientists are credible. So they don't want <laughs> junk scientists to be able to testify in all these cases around the country. So they have one judge who listens in and says, this judge was a very interesting guy. I looked at him and he was so pro Monsanto in the beginning. He had no idea that anything untoward could have happened. And his sympathies were clear. After he listened to the plaintiff's witnesses, which included several of the major toxicology experts from the United States government, some of them retired, but all of them completely uh, expert in their field, renowned experts. All the early animal studies showed all these rodents dying from Roundup. So then they had to go to the EPA, the Monsanto people, and lobby, and they lobbied. And during the Bush era, they got what they wanted. Then they've never sort of turned the corner since then, although there's a big piece in The Guardian this week about um, from a former EPA employee talking about all the problems that they've had because they don't outlaw things that are clearly toxic. Um, and so she's a, one of the first whistleblowers to come forward. Um, and that article is written by Carrie Gillum, who has been following all this and has a great book about Roundup. A couple books, actually. Anyway, um, I'm losing my train of thought. Um, back uh, to... I distracted you by taking your picture. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I was got distracted. The, I got the slow wine guide and my Viva Agricultural Organica from oh, cool. EcoFarm, which I'm sad to hear that you won't be at EcoFarm yeah, because... Yeah, because I have to go be to biodiversity. In Avignon. Yeah. Maybe I'll maybe I'll, maybe Brian and I'll join you. We'll just be <laughs> in two. Sorry, DTC Symposium. <laughs> Sorry, Eco Farm. Say, see you next year. Business is really good at sixteen six hundred. I guess <laughs> it's a very inexpensive conference. It's only two hundred fifty euros. It's yeah, not the conference. It's not the, I know, I know. It's, it's, it's the, winter it's airfare. The wine and dinners that I'm going to buy. And <laughs> well, I'm in Avignon, and oh. Kelly and Kelly McAuliffe shows up, and uh, yeah, Julian yeah. Burrow shows up, and we'll get Isabel up from Neiman. And Sam, party. you got to fly first class, or at least business. At and very least. You know, and, and, you know, when you pay more for your first class ticket, it makes up for some of the carbon footprint of your flying, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Plus, you know, it, it'll probably take a couple full weeks to, you know, get over there. Yeah. You know, you relax, then do the symposium. The you know, go to Paris. <laughs> Althea will be done with high school by then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Well, any other shout-outs, guys, and Pam? Um, I'm going to shout-out, uh, as of Friday, uh, you can call me directly. At this point, it's not up on the website, but you can call me and start making appointments at the tank. Um, the tank room? Yeah. 707. So, Five two nine five eight five six and we stopped by. Seven five two nine five eight five six. We stopped by the other day. It's Did you? Very cool. Yeah. I mean, it's got a couple cool chairs in there. I mean, I was. Just, I, I, I was. Do we have an ETO estimated? Well, today's thirty days that the license is 
been oh, you posted, been hanging. You posted it today. No, it's been hanging oh, for been 30 days. Today. So it's been done. So I need to make a phone call and see what's up. Um, but yeah, I, it's really starting to like kind of come around. We got a nice rug in there, so it's softened a little bit. Um, I was able to position the lights. There's a section of the tank where the paneling that they did for warmness in the room, it's the actual tank itself and the roof. So all the history kind of in that. Um, where is it? In Glen Ellen, right across from Jack London Village. And how so, many gallon tank is it? I, I mean, I need to actually get out the measurement, but I think it's like a 14,000 gallon tank. Although when I look at it, it looks a little, it looks like it's not that big. Um, so I have to finish well, doing my math calculation. Maybe they lost a couple of thousand gallons when they moved it across the street. Well, no, no because, you know, it's funny because where the door position and where the valve is, they're in the place that it should be. Okay. So I don't think they did. Um, and you can it's funny. You can see the numbers when they took it apart and put it back together, you know, because they, oh, so they like, numbered apart, each stave. They took it apart stave by stave. Yeah. And then moved it across yeah. the street. And yeah. So it's Pam, funny. It's I, probably I, to take it apart to get it out of the building, right? room is in right. the tank. Right. I um I stopped by and was talking to Hardy the other day, and he was he I told him about it, and he was asking me. He goes he goes wait a minute. He goes you're gonna taste in the tank. <laughs> in the tank. How cool was that? So, but when when did, was it? Do you know when it stopped being used actually for winemaking and became a I, I'm my research paper that I'm working on is getting there, collecting this information. Um, I've got a bunch of really good stuff. I think it was sometime in the '60s. I think it was at the time that um, that Pagani um, mm. sold the property to the last owners, and then when the, so, so the, the last the owner Pagani's owned that as the that's where the Pagani's. Not that Pagani. Not that Pagani. The Pagani of the vineyard in Kenwood, yeah. right? The 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 Alicante vineyard that yeah. changes that Pagani, not the Pagani of Kenwood Winery, right? Those okay. were two different Pagani families. So the ones who have the vineyard that everybody takes their picture, takes their yeah. picture of because maybe it's virus, maybe it's Alicante, right. turns red in October, right? And that's the big white barn in the background. And then that, and, so that's the same Pagani as the winery. The, as the as the the facility yes, in Glen Ellen. right, and, and then it was also Chevet had it as a winery, okay, and then it's that's the original Glen Ellen winery and distillery, right, where everybody made their wine, right, and you know it's, it's a cool building, John. You go in there across the street from where Bart's office is, and there's like a real estate office that is literally carved out of the concrete tanks that were the wine making tanks. Hey, is this on the uh, Jack London Village. Yeah, yeah it is exactly Jack London, London Village. Village. Okay. So that that's where the tank was originally uh -huh. located, and then so at one point the a per or the person who owned that owned both sides of the road, and they sold the tank Jack London Village side to a new entity, and when they did that, they took one of the tanks and moved it across the street and put it next to it was a it was a storage barn and a workshop is what what is now um, Eric Ross. Um, okay. Yeah. So he's been there for. Long it's interesting. Time. I mean, he originally was across the street, but yeah, talking to Eric, Eric, and we have to get him on the show because um, he was a, a professional photographer for the San Francisco Chronicle. Um, he's got some amazing pictures in okay. his place. Um, but uh, he's been at it over 30 years, yeah. you know, just kind of quietly kind of doing it. Um, and he's been making Grenache for a long time, and the wines are nice. Cool. Yeah. So, anyway, 
That's all I got. Anything else, Pam? No, just slowwineusa.com. Perfect. Buy a copy of the book. And I've always wanted to have a stack here to sell. We do do wholesale. There's a and the FAQ is how do you do it? The code you put in, you get thirty percent off. Okay. On ten copies or more. Perfect. Yeah. And Barney O'Reilly, New Year's Eve. When does that start? So, show starts at nine or nine thirty. I think doors are at eight. About the time we go to bed. Yes. Yeah, so. Exactly. If you know, we're, this is still a little bit up in the air. But the goal, whether whether depending, is that we're going to start here. With a little reception, seven thirty, eight o'clock, and then do a second line uh, from here to Valley, where we'll gather up the Valley crew because Little Worth is opening uh, with you know Tanner Wally's band. Uh, they're the supporting act, and then second line, Marty's hired a a, a horn section for his right. show for the night, and so they're gonna lead the second line uh, nice. around the plaza to the Spastiani Theater and show up there, you know, as, as doors open at 8.30. So, uh, so, you know, for he's, those who say nothing been, happens in Sonoma on New Year's Eve, we're changing all that. He has been posting uh, some of their practice yeah. uh, rehearsal sections, said, and they are I asked good. him about doing some Tower of Power songs, and he said, I think he said he was working on a Chicago song, which, remember Chicago with the great horn mm-hmm. section? and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, Sam, to your point um, about changing things up in Sonoma, did you see Del Santina has new hats this year and it's, and their hats say, make Sonoma late again? <laughs> I mean, it is the hardest place to get a bite to eat after 8 o'clock at night. I mean, it's like, you know, we, we roll up the streets and turn the, head, the street lights off at 9 p.m. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's going to be a good one. I think you go to SebastianiTheater.com to, to buy tickets for it. Uh, but it is a it is a vinyl Sunday. It's a Sunday. New Year's Eve this year is a Sunday night. Um, well, and this episode comes out on December twenty second, so we should take an opportunity to wish everybody happy holidays and yeah. you know nice little time Merry, off. We, we can say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Honestly, and, uh, we can say Merry uh, Christmas uh, now. Ha- the is, yeah, why not? I don't know. <laughs> There's, there's a bunch of Just holidays. Marry so, everything. Marry yeah. fucking everything. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Perfect, Sam. <laughs> marry fucking everything. And then we'll have it. We'll have it. We're recording an episode, a second episode this week. Right. So we'll have one coming out right before New Year's. We'll say, yeah. "Wish you a happy New Year" on that one. Right. Absolutely. And and tell uh, you what champagne to drink. Right. And mm. you know, maybe our uh, our we can uh, try to figure out what's going to happen in the new year. Perfect, right? Our top ten. Can what be... happened in the past year? Wow, Lots. I think both of those are really ambitious goals. <laughs> it's just been an awesome year, Pam. Awesome year, yeah. Yeah, yeah, great, yeah, great summer. All right, everybody, thanks for listening again. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, everybody. Drink, sm- drink more slow wine. Drink, drink slow wine. <laughs> and, and like drink it slow wine I like slowly. It. I like you it. Got it. Open bottles quickly. Drink slowly. Right there, you go. <laughs> All right, everybody, thanks. See you next week.